there's this moment in the book of Revelation after Jesus is revealed and he takes the scroll with its seven seals and he's breaking over the seals that have various judgments. But tucked in there, in the fifth seal, it says, John says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice. All these people that have been martyred for their faith cry out to, to God. They say, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Isn't that, isn't that strange that even you're getting this view of the end of times and the unrolling of God's coming back to earth and in the midst of that, he gives you this snapshot of, of our martyred brothers and sisters who are crying out to God in heaven, how much longer until you, you do what is right, until you avenge us? And just wait a little longer. Just wait a little longer. So, hey, I want to speak this morning to that moment. It kind of capsulizes things, settling truths that are important for those who are persecuted, but just I realize that it, we are a couple of days from this significant election and just in this moment in America that is just so divided, this country that we're living in that is just so divided and that is so distressing to really to almost all of us, the things that are going on or the temperature of, of the country or the antagonism between parties or pe people or families, how all of that rolls out, just how anxious, no matter where you are, how anxious we all are just to see it over with and have it come to an end. It's just one more thing in 2020 that you can't wait to be over. And so I want to speak to that. In a way, we need to step back in the midst of this and appreciate that we live in America, you know, that we get to live here. Uh, in 1994, I got to go, as I've mentioned, to India, Nepal, and Pakistan, and it's a view of one of, the, one of the downtown areas in Kathmandu, Nepal, the capital. And I remember we were there, and there's this Dutch, Dutch missionary who was taking me around the city, and we see this little girl, maybe 12 years old, she's got a beautiful sari on, and she's got one of these homemade brooms, just a stick with some straw on it, really. She's sweeping the streets. So the missionary tells me, this guy tells me, this is her caste. You know, Nepal is a Hindu kingdom, and so they follow caste as much as countries try to say that they've, they've uh, eliminated caste. It's still, still very much a reality. This is her caste. This is her job. This is what this girl will do all of her life. Man, and the hopelessness of Hinduism just really became real to me then. Hey, in America, you think, man, maybe I buy a better broom. Maybe I can do this better. Maybe I get a couple more streets that I can do. Maybe start a business, maybe a street cleaning business. Maybe I can get a shop on one of these streets. And in America, you, ha you can have a vision of making things better. And, and there are so many opportunities. Yet roadblocks and obstacles you have to come, come over and things that are unfair in America, but so, so much better than other parts, other parts of the world. In, in a way, we need to step way back and, and realize that not only is it just America, but just as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, uh, uh, stepping way back and realize there's this thing that's more important than being American, and that's being a follower of Jesus. 
And that that, as we were talking about brothers and sisters, they're having loyalty issues as followers of Jesus. And we have loyalty issues in a whole nother way. And so here we are in this country that's just incredibly divided in this moment, following, following another savior, another Lord, another king o- over our lives who supersedes anything that, that, that America would tell us to do. And so I want to speak in this moment this is what I'm calling is just settling truths. You know, truths that, that we see in scripture that can settle us down if we're so worried about the election or we're so worried about how much things should change that just kind of help us step way back to what is the reality that we live in? What are the truths that will, can settle us? Truths that will help you focus again on what it is that your life is about or truths that will settle you down and focus you so that you can get into the life mission that God has for you to carry out. Some, there are people that are called to have a very American involvement, people who are called to life and government or social service or places in the fabric of, of our culture, but who are called there, and some of you who are called there as citizens of a, of a greater kingdom. And that's the verse that I want to go to. It's just a couple of verses in Philippians 3. I wanted to step out of our series on Thessalonians and I'll wrap that up the next time I preach. But I just felt like this is a significant moment in so many ways. I mean, presidential elections are always significant. This one is, this one is crucially important. And so I felt like we needed to kind of catch our perspective on that. And so in Philippians 3, at the very end of the chapter, in verses 20 and 21, Apostle Paul's in jail for his faith. He's writing to believers in a city where he was in jail for his faith. And this is what he says to them, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I mean, those would have been really significant words for the Philippians, just in their context and in their moment. They are very significant words for you and I in this moment. You know, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I just feel like there are, there are settling truths in there that you need to just use to wrap around this moment, but the moments that are going forward. This first settling truth that's there is that we don't belong here. Rome, uh, Philippi was a great place to belong. Philippi was, was a site of a battle when Mark Anthony came up and they were fighting who was gonna really, who was gonna succeed Julius Caesar and Cassius and Brutus, those who had led his assassination and Mark Anthony who'd been a loyal subject. When they collided to fight for the future of the Roman Empire, it was in Philippi, it was in that area. So when Mark Anthony won, he made Philippi a Roman colony. The Roman, gov- the Roman Empire had this thing that they would do in strategic places or in, for cities that had been shown special loyalty to the empire, they would designate them Roman colonies, almost, a, little Italy, almost a, a space of Italy. They would give them Italian rights, even though they weren't in Italy. Uh, they, had, they wouldn't be taxed. They were tax-free zone that you would be because you'd been so loyal. You were considered Roman citizens. 
even though you didn't live there, even though you weren't part of Italy, you had all of the rights. Those cities, they tended to dress like Romans, and they lived under Roman law. Their rulers had Roman titles, and so when Paul's in, in uh, Philippi in Acts 16, and he's arrested, it tells you that, I think it's the word magistrates, that's a Roman ruler that Philippi had that no one else around them had. It was a very good place to belong, and, and they were stoked about being Roman, you know, they, can you imagine if you were part of America, if America did that with a particular city, and, and maybe you're in Delhi, India, but it's little America, you would be pretty stoked about that. You'd be pretty proud. You might rub that in people's faces. You know, the, only, the closest we can get is being sports fans. But man, if you're a New England Patriots fan in New York City, you think you're gloating? Yeah, sort of. So that's kind of how they would take this whole Roman thing. They were very proud of being Roman. And so in the midst of this, now the Roman government's putting pressure on these believers. And, and when they accuse Paul in, in Acts 16, they said, he's endorsing practices that are not legal for us Romans. That's kind of where they're living. And so they're caught between these two things that are really good. And, and Paul says to them, we don't belong here. Our citizenship is not in Philippi. It's not tied to Rome. It's in heaven. We don't belong here, and so don't live here. America is a great place to belong. If you've traveled into the third world, you've appreciated America like nothing else. Remember when we had the school and we took those, we took those teenagers to Mexico? They were stunned at what was normal. They were stunned mostly by how happy children were in Mexico, in the rural part of Mexico, than children are in America. They were stunned, our teenagers were stunned that these kids had so little and yet were satisfied. And they were able to connect the dots that they had so much and didn't have that kind of satisfaction. You know, in America, you're not worried about what you're eating, you know, you're not worried about if you're gonna eat, you're worried about what you're going to eat, you know, or how much. Or in America, we say so much more often, man, I overate, than we would ever Boy, I'm just so hungry. And there are pockets of America where hunger is a real issue. I don't want to minimize that. But the reality is this is a great place to belong. We just don't belong here. And it's important for us to live with this mindset that we don't really belong here, first of all. My first loyalty doesn't go here. My plans for all of my life should be for the, the country that's to come and, and not for the country that I'm in right now. You ought to have a sense, if you're following Jesus, you ought to have this sense that you just don't fit in because your values are different, your goals are different, your destinations are different, the one who tells you what to do is different. In America, you tell yourself what to do. But as a follower of Jesus, we've surrendered to one who tells us, who has the absolute right to tell us what to do. That's why he will say in, in Romans, isn't it funny? He writes to the center of that empire and he says, I'm appealing to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. I love the, the Phillips paraphrase. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it tell you you belong here. The way you live or the way you think or what your values are or, or what your priorities are. Or Peter would tell a persecuted church, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's how he addresses these 
brothers and sisters, I urge you as sojourners, people just traveling through, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Have this mindset that you are, you are on your way through. It used to be this old gospel song, you know, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And so you move through and you make plans and you be wise, you be wise about how you live and you, you, inter- you intercede and you pray about God, what do you want my lifestyle to be? But all of that in light of, hey, someday I'll be home. I'm gonna be home. But when I went to, first time I went to uh, India, Nepal, Pakistan, we flew into India, then we went up to Nepal for a, a weekend seminar we were doing there. And I, I, got to, I had to go alone. Cindy wasn't with me, so I journaled. And I remember thinking, okay, I can, we can do this. You know, it's only, it's only gonna be three weeks that I'm gonna be away, so I just can count down the weeks. It really, it, I was, you know, if you've been on a missions trip, it's surprising the things your heart does about being away from home. And then it hit me, it's gonna be four weeks until you're home. And you talk about getting depressed. I mean, I was so excited to be there. I was excited for what's ahead of me. It was an opportunity God gave us, but uh, I got to wait four weeks before I'm home. And everything was in light of, but I'm going to be home. I'm so glad to meet you all. I'm so glad to participate in Nepali life. I'm so glad to eat Nepali food as much as they'd let me or or whatever, but I'm going to be home. And that's the reality we live in, that we we don't belong here. And so do you see what he says to them? Not only is our citizenship in heaven, but we're locked in on that. And from it, we, we await, the ESV says, other translations say a little more accurately, we eagerly await a savior. We're living here, but we are so anxious for things to change and to get to the real place. So we're going through and you make your plans and settle in, but settle in with a view towards, this is not permanent. I don't belong here. So that, that's the first truth. And then that second truth that leads into that is a president is not our savior or Lord. Yeah. We need to say that a little, long, a little, a little stronger. The president, he's not our savior or our Lord. And, and a lot of our country is putting their hopes in Donald Trump to win or Joe Biden to win. They are not going to deliver to America what America needs. You think the New Testament starts, you know, in Luke, in Luke, historically, he's the first writer, and he says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the whole world should be taxed. So, you know, the New Testament is born under Caesar Augustus, who was called the Son of God, and he was called the Savior. And then the Caesars would start using this word of themselves, kurios, which is the Greek word, Lord. So they're following Jesus, under an empire that believed that it was the savior, and the Roman Empire believed that it was the savior, that it was the one that would come in and make everything good. If you just follow us, if you, if you don't follow us, they made sure things got very rough for you. So what does Jesus, what does Paul say in a culture like that, in a moment like that? This is the longest title he gives to Jesus. He says, from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just so that my, you know, my Philippian brothers, just so you know who you're following, we have a Savior. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, the settling truth for us is beyond the president, whatever country you live in, the president is not Savior or Lord. It's Jesus Christ, and no one will ever challenge him in actuality, and no one can ever replace what he can do or what he can bring. Following Jesus in a Roman Empire, it drew the line <clears throat> that would become the time when our brothers and sisters, our early brothers and sisters, would, they would bring them a little tray with, that had some incense on it and a flame and the Roman seal, and they would say, you gotta throw this on and declare that Caesar is Lord. And, and they couldn't do it. It drew the line for them. You have to say Caesar is Lord. Paul answers, we have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in North Korea, boy, our North Korean brothers and sisters have a line in front of them, and that is that the ruling family is divine and that they should be worshiped and that there is no religion except for worshiping them. But they have the same answer. We have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in China, the Chinese government draws a line and says, you need to worship the government because the government will take care of you and the government is to be followed unquestionably. We have authority, you are to have no authority. There's the three self church in China that gives religious freedom, but the Chinese government has eliminated so many things that the church is allowed to preach. They're not allowed to talk about the story of creation, they're not allowed to talk about revelation. There's so many limits that it puts on there. So if you're following Jesus, what do you do? Your answer is still the same. You have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you have to acknowledge ahead of that, uh, whether it's in China or in the Muslim world. There is one God, and Muhammad is his prophet. That is, that is the line. And so we have, a, we have a video we'll show next week where a sister of ours in a Muslim land is said her brother says to her, do you believe that Muhammad is a prophet? She says, no, I don't. And so he says, well, then I have to beat you. That's the line in the sand. The line in the answer is still the same. We have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, following in America, it draws a line for us. There are all kinds of responses you get that are very similar to responses people got in the New Testament days. Paul is giving his testimony in court as he's saying these things in his defense. Festus, the governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. There's a line, and I'm staying on my side of it. You know? One thing to pick out, and you know, because we're increasingly in a culture that is rejecting Christian truth and that is labeling us as all extremists or whatever, however that goes. But do you see, do you see how gracious? Paul is on his side of that line, most excellent Festus. He will not be drawn in. He's never drawn in in any place where you find him speaking. He's never drawn in to, to the culture of disrespect. You are out of your mind. You're gonna, you hear, you hear that at different times. He says to the Corinthians, we're really being smart, it was so important. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the, wis the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, prove it. You know, is God doing miracles anymore? All of those things that wrap in. And you're gonna hear that as a follower of Jesus. 
And so here are Jesus' words to us. You know, blessed are you, and this is mostly what we will get as, as our persecution at this stage, when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're just in this long line of people who've tried to be faithful to the truth. So know that you're blessed. From heaven's point of view, you are blessed in, in the midst of that. In America, the answer is still the same. You know, in America, it's not that someone's drawn a line, it's that there are no lines. And we have no right to draw a line. And, and yet our line is here. There is one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one and only Savior, and he is the one and only Lord, and he must be obeyed. And that's where we are. And so that's going to get you more and more into trouble and into those pushbacks. What about people, some of Jesus' followers and other people who just want a good life? I just want a good life. You know, a president is not a savior who's going to deliver hope for you. And a president is not a lord to whom you need to surrender your convictions. He's not a lord that you surrender to. He, he's someone that God has put in place to carry out what God says is right and true, he or she. Anyone in government has been put in place by God, Romans says, and carries a, has God's authority, but also is obligated to carry out what God says is right and wrong, policy-wise, and then to care for all of their people, rich or poor, influential or forgotten, wherever that is. We have a savior who will save our souls, but who will also deliver us in whatever situations we need. And we have a Lord who we have to follow and who, who we have to follow in our personal lives and we have to follow in our convictions about what he says is right or wrong. And Paul in that, he gives us another truth that settles us and he says that our transformation is coming and it's real. He says, we, we have a citizenship in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. In some ways, when you vote on Tuesday, you're voting for transformation. You're voting who you think can get us out of this insane COVID season. You're voting who you think can end the divisiveness in America. You're voting who you think has, has good racial policies, who can bring racial harmony. You're voting who you think can settle the violence that's begun to just sweep across the land. <clears throat> you're, voting, you're voting against the immorality that's just become, uh, I don't want to say rampant, it's become legislated in our country. You're voting against a materialistic culture of greed it's in America. When you vote, there's an element where you're voting for transformation. Who you think can best transform this country from what it is to what it needs to be. You'll vote who you think will do that. Romans, boy, the Romans thought the empire would do that. Boy, we will come in and we will transform your pitiful little country and we will bring in Roman rule, and we will bring in Roman soldiers, so you'll be secure as long as you follow what we do without question, and, and, and we will set you up, and we'll let you have a little bit of freedom, 
but you are under our control and we will bring transformation for the good. That was just Romans. Transformation, that's a big word. I mean, change would be good, but transformation, that's a huge word. That's inside, outside change. My life is being transformed. Somebody says that to you, tell me about that. That's big. That sounds huge. What is that? And that's the, that's the word that's used here. It's going to be transformed. If we go back to those verses in, in Romans 12 where he says, don't be conformed to this world, but what? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pick up a couple of those phrases that are the key. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It means when you're saved, all of those things that you bring into the table, well, this is what I think is right. All of that gets handed over to what does scripture say? You know, what does God says is right and true and purposeful and lasting because my mind needs to be transformed so that my life can be transformed. And in the course of that, what is the will of God? That ought to be so significant to all of us. Am I in God's will? Am I living God's will? Am I voting God's will? God, I need to be transformed because if I'm not transformed, I can't understand what his will is. But if my mind is transformed and my life is transformed, I'll understand what his, good, what his will is. It's good, it's, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. So here's this big word. That he, brings to, that he brings to this moment. A chapter earlier, if you go back to Philippians chapter two, he talks to the church there about being just an agent of transformation. He says in Acts two, uh, in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And here's our call among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You need to be transformed so that you stand out in this culture. You stand out as light, which, which light by nature not only shows the way we saw a few weeks ago, it also, it also reveals evil. We're called to be salt, we're called to be light. Salt creates thirst, it also preserves in the day in New Testament, the main role of salt was to preserve meat from going bad. A role that we have in a culture as believers is to preserve what's right and true so that it doesn't spoil. We need to hear that and we need to make that part of who we are. We need to make that part of how we vote because things that just seem like are, are, are unraveling in our country, we're, our calling is to transform the culture by transforming people. If we've learned anything over the last decades, it's we're not gonna, we are not gonna legislate in an end to anything, really. We're not gonna be able to legislate the end of abortion. We're not gonna be able to legislate the end of racism. We're not gonna be able to do that. The only thing that will do those things is a change of people's hearts. You know, we can make the KKK illegal. That would be a great thing to do, but there will always be men and women that have, have those terrible, perverted prejudices in their hearts unless their heart is changed. That's our calling as Christians. That's not a political calling. It's our calling to transform the culture by seeing people's lives transformed. Think of all those lives in the New Testament. You saw, you meet 
some people that are seeking God. They're trying to find him. They're, they want to know what's the way. You find people in the New Testament whose lives are just broken, and, and they want to find wholeness, and they want to find healing. Some of them don't even believe that's possible for them. Like, maybe that's some of your stories. You find people that are rebellious in the New Testament, people that are just out there on their own, don't care, and God takes control of them. And on this Sunday, it's great to know that one of the greatest missionaries in the New Testament was a persecutor who, whose life God just flipped on its head. You know, he just stepped in and, and redid that. He transformed the life and then transformed the people around them. That's our calling. So our calling is not just to help. We want to we help a person understand the truth of the gospel so that he can get saved and go to heaven. We want to do that, but we're doing that so that in the process, our culture gets transformed. And, and people begin to do what's right because they believe that it's right and, and not because they're just constrained in that. Paul, uh, Peter and John have this moment where they're going to the temple, this beggar asks them for some money, and Peter says, you know, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Listen, I'm not, I'm not worried about the money. I'm not worried about anything. This is what I have to give you. I'm giving you the very best I have. It's Jesus Christ. It's the power of what he can do in your life. You know, are we going out and saying that God's will is to heal every single person? Not physically, but to heal their soul with salvation? Yep, to heal their beliefs and their convictions and their way of life? Absolutely. Some people who are around you are convinced their life is fine, thank you very much, even though it's far from what God said is fine. But our goal is just to love them into the kingdom so that they can be transformed. And in their being transformed, the kingdom, uh, the culture will be transformed. Isn't that what we see happening through people that got a vision in the name of Jesus, this is what I have to offer. And so Christina's house is birthed and the culture's changed you know, for homeless women and their children. Or in, eight, in the late 1800s, I think his name is Julius Cummings, has a burden for the homeless and the alcoholic in Springfield and starts the, what would become the Springfield Rescue Mission and changes, begins to change culture. In, in, the, burden, in, in the burden of a woman's heart, you know, these, all these women that are, that are selling themselves or exposing themselves to make pitiful little money in these men's club. And so you have the birth of Route One that is a way of beginning to change the culture. I mean, these are just in our city, Hope for Kids, that wants to reach out to children that need to know that Jesus loves them so that they will grow up and be healthy and live healthy in a culture and make a culture healthy. That's how we change this culture. Our transformation is coming and the transformation, the ultimate transformation where Jesus takes these lowly, aging, sickly bodies and makes them like his, that's going to be a great moment. We're called to transformation now. We're called to be transformed by the word and then to be transforming factors. That's going to take effort. Some of you are frustrated and discouraged that the transformation of your own life seems to be lagging behind. You just don't seem to be able to be changed. But leading into these verses is this passion that Paul brings. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this. This is Paul who is doing all right. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, 
What does it take to be transformed on our side of the equation? Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he speaks to us. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any one of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So if you're looking for your life to be transformed, but we have to talk you into reading the Bible, that's never gonna happen. Because what you see in Paul is this sense of, I'm not satisfied with what I've already, uh, already obtained, but I am straining and I am pressing and I am reaching for what, what more could be. It takes that kind of effort and intentionality on our side for us to be transformed and then to have a transforming influence on the culture. And then one more, one more settling truth. Eventually, all will be made all right. So he says we, we wait for him, to, uh, we wait for our Savior from, uh, from heaven, we wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Eventually, everything will be subjected to Jesus and it will be, all, be made all right in that moment. In, in Ephesians, they put it this way. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus, is, he's already been given all of this authority. He's just waiting for the Father to say, go. And then he comes and all the governments of the world will be put under his feet. Everything that's wrong will be made right. We'll live in, we'll live in a kingdom where we live out our callings. We, we live in perfect relationship. We'll, be, we'll have perfect health, all of those things that come. The Romans, they came in and they brutally subjected everyone to themselves just by brute force and by brute fear but not Jesus. He will establish this perfect role and everything will be right. Health will be right and healthcare will finally be right and life will be right. The economy will be right and there'll be world peace and societies will be calm and affirming, uh, affirming of the races. Don't take, I'm not saying affirming in a sexual, in any in, in a sexual way. I don't want to be misunderstood there. But, but races will be embraced. They'll be appreciated. There'll be perfect justice in Jesus' kingdom. You will be safe and there'll be equality as there should be equality. If that's true, then, then don't get so frustrated in these days with, with seeing that that's not happening. Don't get so hopeless. Start living in alignment with what God says is true and right. If this is true, and if we are waiting for the King Jesus to come and establish his kingdom, then make sure you're living in alignment with what the kingdom says now. Now hear me when I say this next part, because it's just the logical next step to where we are. That if this is true, and if this is kingdom truth, then vote kingdom truth when you vote on Tuesday because that plays very much into who you, play, who you vote for. If we put personalities aside, and, and that's hard to do, and, and look at platforms, and, and we look at policies, 
you have to bring your kingdom values and kingdom truths into that booth with you. Or you make a decision not to. I, I cannot, as a believer, I can't, I cannot vote for a party that believes that a baby can be born and then left on a table to die. I can't do that. I can't, I can't take kingdom values into the booth and do that. I can't believe, can't vote for a party that has the priority of maintaining Roe v. Wade as part of their goal for future Supreme Court justices. I can't do that unless I leave kingdom values outside. I can't vote for a party that, I can't vote for a party that embraces an immoral lifestyle like homosexuality as normal or a party in which Joe Biden has said as an early act as president, he would reinstitute the Equality Act, which means if you participate in a Christian uh, adoption agency or a Christian foster care agency, you have to place children into same-sex homes, even though it violates your religious beliefs. He said that, that he plans to remove or reinstate the Obama uh, policy that, that didn't matter if you were a believer or you're Christian, if you had a religious objection to abortion, now you're permitted not to participate in medical procedures that you have a religious uh, disagreement with. Yeah. Joe Biden has said that he's gonna remove that provision that gives you safety, those of you who are, those of you who are in healthcare. It's not the person, it's what scripture says is right and wrong. It's not the church's place to really tell you who to vote for, but it is the church's place to say, this is what God says is right and wrong and, and needs to be brought with you to make sure that we're a nation that supports Israel because God's earliest covenant says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. There are, there are issues that are of huge importance and these are issues of the scriptures, which the scriptures speak to. I don't want to have a sense of, hey, Jesus, why don't you just wait here? I'm going to go in and vote, and I'll be right back. And I don't mean to make light of that, and I, and, and I don't mean to say, that, hey, that there are other issues that are concerned to me. I have to prioritize what those issues are with candidates that I don't agree with or whatever. In Massachusetts, sometimes I feel like we really have no choice of candidate. It doesn't matter what party, you know, they, where they are on that. But you have to, if this is what the kingdom will be like, and if you're looking forward to that kingdom, then you have to stand for that kingdom and those values now in this day, regardless of the person or the personality. The president, he's not our savior, he's not our Lord, but he is accountable to God. And if we put him into office, we're accountable for who we support or, or how how we support them in those ways. Eventually, everything will be all right. It'll be under one ruler. But until then, until then, we have to be the transformation, transformational element. Yeah, it's my hope that eventually everything will be made right according to what God says is right. And if that's true, then I have to vote 
what's right when I vote here and now? It's just a, a reflection of that. For that day when, when Jesus comes and he's made king and he's king forever and we're settled and we finally get to enjoy that. In these days, we just have to live as, as agents of transformation of the culture. We have to do that well. We have to live with the sense that I don't belong here, that I belong somewhere else, that my hope and my savior and my Lord is Jesus Christ and that he's going to transform me, but in the meantime, he's changing my life and calling me to change the life and others so that our culture can be changed with the view that everything's going to finally be all right one day. If those truths can settle you down, then you can focus on what it is God's called you to do. And you can, then you can be launched into what's his calling on your life. What is it that he's calling you to do that will be transformative in this culture? Lord, thank you that your word speaks to things. This is a, this is a really interesting, tricky, crucial time in American history. People want you to be involved so much, and yet they don't want you to be involved so much. And we're trying to follow you well in a culture, and we're trying to love everyone no matter what their lifestyle is or where they're coming from or what their particular brokenness is. We're trying to love them in your name, Jesus, and at the same time trying to be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves, like you said. So help us in that. Help us in that. We pray that you would show mercy on America because that's all we can ask for, God. We can't ask you for, to give us what we deserve or we'll be in deep trouble. Show us mercy, oh God. Who is capable of bearing the weight of, of uh, being an authority, being mayor over a city or governor over a state or president over a country? Who's able to do that, God? No man or woman. So we just pray your grace and your strength would be upon them each. And we pray that there would be a humility to them, God, that would look to you for wisdom. We pray your blessing on America. We thank you for its influence for good in the world. So much about America we know that's broken, God, but so much that's good. Would you heal our land? You know, we're looking to you. Would you heal the division that's in our land, oh God? Would you enable us to just embrace the racial differences that are there, God, and, and to understand your creation of people and your your intent that there be that heaven would be a place where every tribe and tongue and language and people will will exist in this wonderful diversity would you work so that that can happen here would you allow us to be a land where justice is just and fair and and would you bring hope we just believe so much of that is going to come through the vehicle of the church. And so help us to, to stand up to that moment and to that responsibility, God. Help us to do that well so that we reflect Jesus. That's what we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.